Five Steps to Optimizing Your Crow Budget with Alina Ghost. The In Search SEO podcast is brought to you by Rank Ranger, the all in one SEO platform that helps skill your business through data and analytics. Hey, it's David, your new host for the In Search SEO podcast. How effective is your crawl budget optimization? That's what we're exploring today with Alina Ghost, SEO manager from Debenhams. Alina, why is it so important to focus on crawl budget optimization? Hello, yes. Well, if you think about the a resource that Google or other search engines have, they're not infinite. So the fact that you have to utilize their time that they spend on your websites Crawl budget is the ultimate thing that you can be doing because you can make sure that they don't look at the pages that you don't want them to look at and rank to the pages that you do want them to pick up and showcase to your customers and users. So you need to funnel Google to all the right places. So, t- so today we're looking at the five steps um, to optimize your crawl budget. So starting off with robots.txt as your number one step. So why is that important? So robots.txt is one of the fundamental things that you do as a technical SEO um, and a web developer these days. <laughs> so essentially you make sure that you, so in basic terms, it's adding rules to search engines, uh, via this one file on your site to tell them whether or not they can visit particular areas of your site. So for example, if you have a customer area, so like a login page, you can add that into that file to say that you don't want the search engine to have a look at because it has that private information and because of what I've mentioned earlier, the fact that you don't want them visiting a page that you don't want them to rank anyway. Okay, so what are the advantages to doing it using robots.txt instead of just doing um, some other way, um, some other way on the page? Yeah, so I guess you can add code into the heading of the page uh, via the code, so nothing that the user sees, but um, you add it into the robots.txt file because it's actually the first or one of the first pages that a search engine would have a look at. So instead of it looking at the particular page and knowing what the rules are, imagine like a game, what you can and can't do. <laughs> Essentially, that's what you're telling a search engine to do, that you they can't look at this particular site of the area. The other thing is that you can do with robots.txt, which is quite cool, is use a wildcard. So that's basically an asterisk before or after a particular type of like the URL. So for example, if you don't know or know that there are a lot of URLs, uh, I'll give you an example in a second, that they shouldn't be visiting, then you can add a wildcard instead of adding every single individual URL to it. So for example, if you have a login page, again, and after the login page, they can actually go to uh, my orders and um, my wish lists. If you don't want to add that individually, you can add, um, depending on your URL structure, uh, a URL that looks something like um, uh, basically the, the domain.com um, slash login slash wildcard. So, for example, I'm trying to say that adding like an asterisk will allow you to like grab a whole load of URLs uh, that contains like the whole area without doing the individual URLs. It's a bit like redirects. 
but let's not get into that. <laughs> <laughs> not particularly at, at the moment anyway, maybe another episode. So that was robot.txt step number one. Step number two is internal linking via navigation. Yep. So internal linking is so huge in terms of um, guiding the search engines to a particular area of your site. So when it comes to like a main header navigation, um, you can actually tell it, uh, the search engines, what categories are very important to you. Uh, if you're in fashion, then it's like dresses and jeans and things like that. Or if you're um, showcasing cars, then it'll be the particular types of cars that you're you're, you're showcasing. Um, however, there's other internal linking areas as well, because it's not just about the header navigation, but it's also the links that you have with other pages. So, for example, if you go into a category, then you've got the links into the subcategories. And then also there's breadcrumbs, which is really important to make sure that each one is associated with uh, a parent page or a child page. So it's ensuring that there is a hierarchy of pages because the more links there are to a particular page, it's known that the rankings are much more likely to go to those higher pages that have more links. And that's been tested and trialed, but also it's quite difficult to understand when it comes to like the lower pages. So for example, if you've got products which are within a subcategory within a subcategory, you just need to make sure that that like a hierarchical spiders graph that is going downwards, that there are actually links to it. Um, internal linking is also great for <laughs> associating pages together. Um, but in terms of crawl budget, um, if the page isn't linked to then if the search engine can't get to it, it's unable to see the page or the content on it, or therefore it, and therefore it won't rank. Okay, okay. So you mentioned breadcrumb there as well. That's um, uh, obviously jumping on to step three. We'll, um, I guess, talk a little bit more about that in a second there. Um, but just to major on your big menu section in your um, the header section of your page, or your top section of your page, um, what is um, a little bit more about best practice for that? Um, is there a maximum number of links that you would actually advise um, to be incorporated as part of that standard uh, top section navigation? Um, and also, um, is there anything that um, search engines are less likely to see? I'm thinking of best practice in terms of hovering over um, or having to click on things before you find certain links. Oh, interesting question. But going back to the first one, there is no optimal amount of links that you should be having in your um, navigation. Uh, so the reason for that, because not everybody is the same. Uh, you could have a small site, you can have a large site. And even then, it's about trial and error, like A-B testing, basically making sure that you do have the right amount for you and your business. Um Obviously, you don't want to have like hundreds and hundreds of links in the header navigation. You have to be or more strategic about the links that you do have. And therefore, you need to strategize to make sure that the very important pages are linked to in the header navigation. And then those important pages link to their uh, child pages and so on and so forth. And then in terms of your second question, mm -hmm. um, are you are you saying more around the page that needs m more visibility or are I, you saying how to predict somebody clicking on a particular page <laughs> i guess i'm thinking about from a search engine perspective is it possible to crawl and see every single link quite easily within that top section of your website um for instance um 
if links are direct, directly clickable from the top section of your website, you can understand, yes, it's definitely possible for search engines to see that and um, um, determine that those links are probably the more important links on that page. But if you have to, for instance, hover over a section of your top navigation, um, do search engines deprioritize the importance of those links? Oh, I see what you mean. So basically, if you've got like a navigation with a, not a pop-up, let's say, but something that uh, comes out, and which is very common these days, especially with yeah. JavaScript. Um, so essentially, how I try to explain it is usually you have like, imagine 100% of like link authority to the, your homepage. If you have, um, let's say, five links on your header navigation, um, that 100% is then split, so 20% each. And then anything uh, beyond that is splitting the 20% that you've got um, into how many ever links they have on that page. However, so essentially you are um, showing the importance of those pages via the header navigation. And then when something else does pop up, that is actually included within the 100%. So your header navigation... Uh, usually, I'd say that it's dependent on how it's coded, but most of the time, yes, even even the ones that are uh, coming out in the header navigation itself, which is common practice these days, they are split against that 100% uh, authority. Okay, and something else you touched upon was breadcrumb there as well, and that, that's step three um, that you highlighted, breadcrumb internal linking. So it's important, is it important, for, for example, on an e-commerce site, for every page, every, every product page, to actually have that breadcrumb linking structure at the top? Yeah, so once again, I don't think I've ever heard of uh, an A-B test that showcased that breadcrumbs were not important, because not only are they great for SEO and internal linking and that crawl budget side of things, but also they're really important for UX. So in terms of user experience, people use that in terms of navigating and coming back to the categories that they were on before and the pages that they were on before. So essentially, when it comes to breadcrumbs internal linking, I'd say that that's really important, especially from a crawl budget point of view, because that allows more of that link authority to pass through to the correct pages, whether it's a parent page or not. Um, and basically is to ensure that the hierarchy is still maintained within that. Um, so yes, it's it's very important for crawl budget. Okay, okay. So um, two quick questions in relation to that. Um, does that mean it's essential to pick just one core category that's um, relevant for each page? And secondly, is there a maximum depth of breadcrumbs that you'd recommend? Yeah, so I think that's quite a common one if you are selling product. Um, whether or not you should dual locate your product, which essentially I recommend that you can showcase your product. However, maintain the breadcrumb to be the same. So the, there is always one category that's going to be the most dominant category and that will always show up in the, um, in the breadcrumbs. So for example, if it's um, associated with a category like dresses and also a brand, we'd recommend that the breadcrumb will always always be the category to um, push more of that cruel budget and authority uh, to the dresses page, for example. Um, and then I completely forgot your second depth, question. Depth sorry. of breadcrumbs. So is, is there a certain number of links within the breadcrumbs um, in total that you would recommend? Yeah. So <laughs> once again, no, there's no 
ultimate number. Essentially, depending on your um, on your website, how big it is. If it's a very big site and it makes sense to have the category, subcategory, then the subcategory, then go for it. It means that you have a lot of pages that you can actually showcase, um, Google can visit and and rank for. But if, if you're a smaller site, then maybe it makes sense to keep it neater and smaller. Okay. Note to self, stop asking two questions and one every time, Dave. <laughs> uh, step four is check errors and redirects. Yeah, so I guess I touched on this a little bit earlier, but um, uh, redirects and checking errors is really important. When it comes to crawl budget, if Google is coming and seeing most of your pages are 404 so if they are invalid and they can't see any information there, it's worth making sure that there are redirects in place, permanent redirects, so 301s, going to pages that are more worthy of that crawl budget. So basically they are worthy to be visited and therefore you don't want them to visit dead pages because they've got uh, a finite amount of resource to spend on your website and therefore you're shepherding them. I like that word that you're shepherding the search engine into the correct pages rather than looking at the dead pages that you don't want them to see. That's a good word. Might, I might <laughs> take you up on that and use that more in the future as well. And step five is log file data. So why is that so important? So I've added this one last and I think it's probably the most important. It's the, the hard, in my opinion, one of the hardest things to get information for. So uh, there's a lot of data there. Um, you need tools to do that. You need your web devs to be on board as well because that's a lot of information per day, even per hour for some companies. Um, so what that information is, it breaks down each individual visit that you've had by search engines or other <laughs> um, that basically showcases what pages have been visited um, and therefore you can use that information, put it together with your own crawls and your own uh, investigations that you've held, pro uh, probably uh, Google search console information as well, to see which pages are being visited. And then you can be more strategic, you can decide whether to add any pages into the robots.txt file, whether to add more links to in terms of internal na uh, navigation because they're not being, being visited at all. Um, and if you're seeing any errors, so uh, from 500 errors, 404 errors, to just basically sort those out. And 404s are usually a little bit easier because you can redirect those 500s. <laughs> you should probably sort it out with your dev, guys. But yeah, essentially, it's like... Um, so much information. It's like a gold mine of information, log files, data. So I definitely do recommend looking at that on a daily basis. And we, we can record one episode on that in the future by the sound of it. Um, you've got um, a yeah. lot of information to share about that. So that was Alina's five steps to optimise your crawl budget. Number one, robots.txt. Number two, internal linking via navigation. Three, breadcrumb internal linking. Four, check errors and redirects. Number five, log file data. Alina, let's finish off with... The Pareto Pickle. Pareto says that you can get 80% of your results from 20% of your efforts. So what's one SEO activity you'd recommend that provides incredible results for moderate levels of effort? Yeah, so we know that SEO touches many areas. Um, and in this case, I hope I'm not being cliche, but I definitely do believe in automation. So automating your work, whether it's reporting, which is probably one of the easiest things to um, automate or getting a tool to automate information for you. So to give you an example, we've recently been testing um, 
AIs writing content for us by feeding in uh, keyword data. No, we've not used it on live yet, so don't get too excited. Um, <laughs> but some of this stuff that comes out, like the content is amazing and probably, should I say this, actually really well written more than the copywriters. Like, oh, wow, uh, okay. Yeah, like it's, it's really well written, it's creative, it actually makes sense and it's got the keywords there. So I guess it's automating the jobs that we can like put aside to actually spend our time on something else so i think that uh, automation is is my thing wow exciting and scary at the same time I, mm. i've tested jarvis um as a tool for doing that is that a tool you've used or are you using something else i'm going to be quite completely honest with you it was um a friend of mine who did that so i don't <laughs> know what tools he's used but yeah he said there were about four different ones that he's he's trialed okay okay we'll maybe come back and have another conversation about that one as well <laughs> um i've been your host david bain you can find alina ghost over at aghost.co.uk alina thanks so much for being part of the in search seo podcast thank you very much thanks for listening check out all the previous episodes and sign up for a free trial of the rank ranger platform over at rankranger.com